Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. my glasses. Hello. Whew. I could use some sun. <laughs> From the looks of this video, I think I could use a little sun. Oh, there, there, my, my son, speaking of suns, my son did this, Day of the Dead Skull, and he had a picture of he brought in his cat that passed away and a picture of my mom. And it was really, really, really sweet. And um, the teacher was like, who's related to Tammy Faye? <laughs> and of course, you know, maybe the one with the last name Baker, I don't know. Um, hello, Chicago. Um, so, There you go. There you go. So, like, I don't know how all those things get up together, but that's my mom. That's probably my one of my favorite things written, and it's by my mom. So, uh, I gotta be me. It's really good. And this this one right here is written by Jason from Sleaford Mods. So, there you go. Um, good morning. Welcome to Revolution. Um, did some studying this morning at, at Starbucks. I hope everybody had a good Halloween. Um, I certainly, certainly did. It was fun. Uh, the kiddos, man, I love it. My kids are crazy about Halloween. So last night the time changed and of course my, my daughter last night got, didn't feel good, so she came and laid in my bed, and then my son didn't want to be alone, so he came and laid in my bed, and so then I had to go lay crossway where their feet was <laughs> so any of us could have room. They keep saying I need to buy a king-size bed. I'm like, well, you guys aren't supposed to sleep in my bed. Um, but we did, so my extra hour of sleep. If you're a parent, this, it, it actually makes things tougher, the, the time change, to be honest with you. So there you go. Um, yeah, world's a pretty horrible place right now. Uh, really overseeing dead children. Um, uh, really over uh, binary thinking. Um, really wish more people would, would embrace nuances. And I think, you know, we've been needing to do that for a while. Um, so we need to do that now, um, definitely, when it comes to stuff like this. But, yeah, the whole, like, black and white thinking is, is bad. And it doesn't really get us anywhere fast. Um, and that's kind of where we're headed today. So I'm going to warn you, today's going to be a heavy one. Pretty heavy. And uh, there's not going to be any Bible involved. <laughs> Oh, this is also what I wanted to say. You can tell I'm just like beat. Like, <laughs> I have no color in my skin. I'm exhausted. And um, I'm forgetting some of the things I was going to say. But I wanted to say thank you to all of you who donated to Revolution. Um, I woke up last week uh, with, a, with a message from, um, from our financial people out in New York and our accountant. Um, accountant's assistant. I mean, there's a bunch of people who work at this accountant's office. Basically saying like, hey, you guys don't have any money and you're not getting paid and this isn't going to happen and we're not going to, we're not getting paid because <laughs> I have to pay them to, as well. And, um, you know, so we don't know what to tell you. And I was a wreck and I was really scared because I've been trying for jobs. I just got turned down yesterday by Trader Joe's. Um, I don't know why I am, I've been doing this for 30 years, but I think I'm more capable than just sitting in front of a 
camera and talking about Bible stuff. Like, I think I can stock shelves okay. Um, you know, maybe even check, do the checkout machine. So another job I got turned down. Um, a lot of it has to do with parenting schedule. And I think that just says how sad the state of this country is. Also, like, I'm like, have to reapply for my, every year, have to reapply for the, um, for health insurance. And man, it's like a never ending, never ending thing. So I got turned down for this job yesterday. But anyway, get a call. Revolution's not having me in any. So I'm like, okay, well, Revolution doesn't have any money. I don't, I can't get a job at Target or a bookstores or tattoo parlors or grocery stores. Um, I'm going to keep trying. I mean, I keep trying. I'm hoping that somebody will, will call. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's out there. Everybody keeps telling me what I should do. A lot of, been, I've been shoot on a lot. Um, but we'll keep doing that. But yeah, so then you wake up and you go, oh, well then the, the, the long-term job, the day job also isn't gonna pay you because there's no money. Um, so I made a video, a lot of you saw it. I was just awake, my face was like super puffy. I'm like, hey everybody, I don't know what to do, we need money. And uh, then I tried to pull myself together and make another video later in the day to be like, hey everybody, uh, revolution needs your help. And what I want to say is thank you because everybody, sh people showed up. You guys donated and you gave and it really helped. Um, I want to say thank you so much and I need to say it here as well because um, our accountants have the Venmo and for some reason Venmo is like impossible to work with. So, um, so it, it's like impossible to work with. And uh, so they have the, the Venmo account. And like, I'm like, I need, I want to write thank yous. And like, well, we don't really get the, some don't have emails, some do. So they sent me a couple emails. So a few of you will get thank you letters, uh, emails. I used to write thank you letters because people sent checks and there was addresses on there. So I would just, you know, I have dyslexia and stuff, but I'd always get like postcards and I really had fun with it. But so I want to say thank you because they've got the thing. And until I, until Venmo will let us both have, let me have a personal Venmo and the church Venmo on one phone, then, you know. They can put a man on the moon, um, they say, um, but they can't give you two Venmo accounts. All right, well, I just want to say thank you for your donations, and it was, you guys were a real lifesaver. Um, it really helped, and so for you, those of you who gave, um, you know, um, unfortunately, it's like every, you know, two weeks we have to go through that round again, and it's, you know. It is what it is. I've also been working on. Um, I've also been working on. The documentary about my family, you know, and uh, that's been interesting. You know, I don't know, like, if it ever be possible for people to ever actually really know that story completely, like, because everybody's got opinions and. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a tough, tough one to tell, you know, um, without all the, all the positive thinking people out there. Um, so today is going to be really challenging. And so I'm going to warn you, like, if you don't want to be challenged with the concept of, of, of agape love, of really loving um, people, and this is something you don't want to dig into, um, or if you really want an asterisk by grace and an asterisk by love, this may not be the talk for you. Um, so, but we're going to get into that right now. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Uh, what inspired this is, uh, well, I was inspired by Paul Tillich, which that's what today's talk is going to be, is from Tillich's book, um, My Search for Absolutes. Um, but I was inspired by Pillock, Tillich, but then by this art by Scott Erickson, and I put it up on... Um, and the stories, the, 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 the uh, revolution stories, and also on the Jay Baker Instagram stories. I think it's also on my Twitter, and it might even be on my Facebook account. Um, but it's this picture of this guy, you know, this, this archer, you know, with his arrow things right there. And then another guy hugging him, and the guy who's hugging him has the arrows in his back. And um, it, it really just, it's like pretty simple photo. I actually ordered... A print. I didn't even realize I could get a print, so I ordered a print um, of it. 
maybe we'll put it back here but um i'll definitely show it to you guys when i when i get it but that it just totally reminded me what i was reading about tillich what tillich was saying about uh, agape love and and i was like wow you know i felt like this is really cool something's happening here and um then i went on twitter yesterday and you know, Twitter's just become like an arguing machine. And it's really weird because a lot of people I really respect that watch argue with other people on there. And I'm going like, maybe arguing in public isn't the best thing for our careers. Of course, it seems like the people who argue most get more followers. So I, I don't know how it works. Um, I just always want like, sorry, I'm like jumping my bag just fell. Um, I'm always wanting to like try to make, come to a positive end. That, that doesn't always happen. I, I do block very few people. If you've been blocked by me, you're in the, an elite club. Um, you've really pushed me past the boundary of some sort where I realize that if I don't block you, I'm going to be really mean and nasty and I have to do block you to give you grace. Um, but uh, so anyway, yesterday, and so I don't follow a lot of people. So it always recommends people. And there's this one pastor and he's always, you know, he's, he's really progressive and he's always arguing with evangelicals and he seems to have this thing for white evangelicals, which I, I don't know why they have to be white evangelicals. I could grew up evangelicals were like a rainbow color, but maybe just the white ones are the mean ones. I don't know. Um, but there, there's this thing that goes on. Anyhow, um, but yesterday they posted something about this pastor who was, I guess, liked to dress and drag and go out and drag, but nobody knew. And he got exposed through... The media, some media group, some media group named in like 1894 or something, I don't know, posted up a picture. They did an article about him and posted this picture of him in drag and then him normally. And he was a pastor, a Baptist pastor, and then he killed himself. Now, I will say this, like we human beings, what I've learned is human beings love gossip. Um, we love people to be exposed. Um... Especially like if it's if it's something complex like a pastor who who maybe didn't agree with something but then had that thing themselves. Well, we love hypocrisy. We love to like burn the hypocrites at the stake. You know, we're like I would never burn witches, but hypocrites. <laughs> now there's a group we should burn. Um, and so this man, this Baptist pastor, was humiliated uh, and uh, killed himself. And it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. And I think anytime like you get the press, because the press is just the one who's kind of hands you to the lions. And then you get Christians who are like the lions then often, unfortunately. Um, and then you get like a group of complicated Christians coming together because they'll all, you know, conservatives will have the opinion and the liberals will have the opinion. And, you know, he was a conservative who did something liberal. So it's like, oh, there's all sorts of juicy details here. Um, but mostly it was just sad and it's really sad that like we don't hold like media accountable or each other accountable. So I, I would say like as much as the people who bullied him, the shame he carried, uh, is to blame is, is not just from the church, but also the media as well. Um, just my opinion, my two cents, take it for what it's worth, but I know how much damage you guys can do and you don't think about it. And, um, because you got to tell, you got to tell the truth, man, got to. Got to do your work, so just know your work comes with consequences. Um, so anyway, there was this this other Christian guy who was fighting with the more liberal guy, this conservative kid. I call him a kid because he was probably he's probably in his early mid twenties, maybe early thirties. I'm forty seven, young young man, um, who was like it was his own fault, you know. He should be shameful. He should do this. And it was just, and he's like this Christian, conservative Christian guy, you know, who has like, I guess, a podcast and stuff. And I just, I, I like, <laughs> this is why it bothered me because I, I, I pushed back. I was like, man, this is, this is, this is evil. This is almost evil. Like, I'm not going to say it's evil, but it's close to it. Like you're, you're like, like the, the anti LGBT movement of the church the fruit of that movement is not a bunch of heterosexual happy people who are like, we used to be gay and now we're straight. It, it, it's homeless people. It's torn families. It, it's suicides. It's this type of thing. I, I've worked with this for years. 
and we don't want to admit it because we go, oh, but what about Romans 1, you know? And um, so that's the fruit. It says, look at the fruit. That's what the Bible, look at the fruit. Is it peace, patience, kindness, joyful, long No, no, it's, it's death and families torn apart and people hating each other and people feeling ostracized and people wanting to have nothing to do with God. Um, so, uh, talk is not working. Yeah, ask the teachers that, right? Um, yeah, teachers. Honestly, man, Joseph, I have to give you a shout out because you just really like I try my best to ignore you, but sometimes you're you're you know you you come to twist and and you come to give me a hard time. But don't worry. Hopefully, this talk will help you. Um, so anyway, we're having this conversation. And uh, no, so I'm talking to this guy, but it just, it didn't go anywhere. I mean, we tried to talk, but he was, he wasn't, wasn't really receiving it and he was victim blaming. And it was really sad. It was really, really sad. Um, because this, what he was saying is the type of thing that would cause people to see that in his denomination of this guy's group and go like, man, I, if I'm, if they're LGBTQ, they've never come out to this guy. They would never talk to this guy. Um, it was literally like venom from his lips, you know, it was like poison. It was like when, when Jesus says whitewashed tombs, um, you know, and death comes from your mouth. And that's what it was like. And, uh, and what I started to feel, and I had to, I just took the night off from that app I had my kids anyway, so that was a little bit easier, but I just, I can't even look at it until before talk, before my talk. Luckily, the guy blocked me. Um, I think we could have maybe had a better conversation, but I started to feel hate inside me. I started to feel hate um, come up inside my heart. You know, and I was like, nope, that's not what I want, you know? But, um, and I understand why so many of these people get online and they argue and they fight, but you know, it's like, what's, what's the end game here? So anyway, got off Twitter. So I had that painting inspire me, Tillich inspired me, then the painting inspired me to think about Tillich, then that happened. And so then... I started diving in Tillich again, thinking like, well, I'll work or talk around this thing. And I said, you know what? It's not, I'm not going to work or talk around this. Tillich said it perfectly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what everybody loves me to do is read from a book. Now, I'm going to talk around this book, but that's pretty much what I do with the Bible anyway. And what Tillich says is as important of, as, as, of that as well, because it's a reflection on that and even a deeper understanding than uh, a lot of us have of the biblical text. Um, Paul Tillich, kicked out of Germany by the Nazis, um, one of the 20th, 20th century's probably most influential theologians and philosophers. Um, we've done stuff from Tillich before. Peter Rollins read one of Tillich's sermons called You Are Accepted for Us. We did, I did a talk on it, and then we had Pete read it, read it in his lovely uh, Irish accent, and it was really beautiful. So um, you can check that out. It's in our wherever you listen or watch, it's there. And uh, you can, I, 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 the Pete one's just audio though, but I still think we have the audio here, which is like probably just a picture of Tillich. Um, so this is what I, I, we're gonna do. We're gonna read from My Search for Absolutes. And, and this is an incredible book. It's a heavy read, but um, it's really worth it. Like it's like a lot of uh, theologians and like, especially ones who cross over into philosophy that I like, there's usually like some, some digestible stuff and then some stuff you really have to work through. But this is really like how I started to understand what Tillich meant by the ground of being as God. And um, so, and that was a struggle for years. And I had this book for years and I just did, I just was like, ah, that one just looks, looks like Abraham Lincoln shaved, you know? And uh, then I read it and was like, Pow. so there you go. So it starts with, Tillich has, let me give you an idea, catch you up. This is a, a absolute, uh, let's look at the name of this, the title of this, of this chapter is The Absolutes and the Relative, Elements of the Moral Decision. Now one of the things 
is um, the absolute and the relative element of the moral decision is he's been talking about the Old Testament. We're just going to drive into the New Testament and how that connects with the Old Testament and the idea of the Greek meaning of agape. So here we're in the middle of this uh, chapter, but we're going to just do these last few pages of this chapter. In the New Testament, justice has an additional element that does not deny any others. This element is love. Did you hear that? In, this, in the New Testament, the justice, justice, and that's talking about justice. And I think justice is something that a lot of us seek in this world. I think we're seeking justice right now uh, with, with the war that's going on with Israel and Palestine. And, and, and we're seeking justice in, with a lot of issues in this world right now. Um, so the New Testament, justice has an additional element that does not deny any of the others. This element is love. In New, the New Testament Greek, agape, I use the Greek word here because of the great diversity of meanings of the word love. And that's true. In the Bible, the word love means like so many different things. Um, agape is the fulfillment of the creative justice of the Old Testament. Also would say something like it's God's love, it's God's fatherly love. Um, its highest expression is self-sacrifice for him who is loved and whom is in uh, for with whom in this way a profound union is created. So the highest expression is self-sacrifice for him who is loved and with whom in this way a profound union is created. So listen to this. It gets really cool here. Also, I found a red highlighter from Japan. It's really awesome. <laughs> it's hard to find red highlighters. I'm a, like a highlighter nerd. Um, and like I got like a giant box of them. They'll probably kill me, but I got a giant box of them for like five bucks. Um, therefore, agape love goes far beyond the acknowledgement of the other person as a person. It wants reunion with the other and with everything from which that one is separated. You hear that? Therefore, agape love goes far beyond the acknowledgement of the other person as a person. It wants reunion with the other and with everything from which that one is separated. Love in its character of agape is the absolute moral principle, the ethical absolute for which we were searching. So it's saying if you're looking for this moral principle, an ethical absolute, something that's outside of relativeness, for which we were searching, it's this. It's this agape love. However, to be correctly understood, it must be purged of many wrong connotations. Love as agape has the basic principles of justice within it. If people deny justice to others, but say they love them, they miss completely the meaning of agape. Did you hear that? <laughs> if people deny justice to others, but say they love them, they miss completely the meaning of agape. They combine injustice with sentimentality and call this love. And so often, and that's how I felt like this young man yesterday was speaking about uh, this pastor who took his life, what was, was this, this idea of um, the, the, this combination of, of injustice with a sentimentality, you know, like, well, you should have known better. Well, I mean, that's just the price you pay, you know, oh, well, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Too bad you couldn't man up and live up to the shame, you know, that kind of horrific thing. This like counterfeit love. And this counterfeit love is something we see so often in Christianity and in the church because we see people who don't understand love or read the Bible and have this idea of like, well, there's got to be control and there's got to be the book of Revelation. There's got to be blood pouring down and there's got to be this weird type of love that, that you know, with the sentimentality, but it's not really love and it kind of demands its own way and doesn't really want justice for the other person. It just wants its own way and that's how I love. You know, so often... It would be like, oh, we have this free gift of salvation. Come down to the front. God loves you just the way you are. You know, and then you'd say the prayer and do all that stuff. And then they're like, now you've got to give up everything. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. I thought this was free. And now I've got to give everything to you? So it's kind of like the bait and switch kind of idea. Uh, I, I grew up within the Assemblies of God. You may have grown up with something very different. Um,
You know, I will say this: if 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 there are people who are really, this is a tough one. Like, if you're getting too distracted, folks, you just need to let me know, and I'll try to deal with this in a more productive, loving, graceful way. Um, Agape also must not be confused with other qualities of love. Libido, friendship, compassion, pity, eros, which is erotic love. Certainly agape is related to it and can be combined with all of them, but it is also judge of them all. So agape is the judge of them all. It's, it's, it's something greater than all those loves. Um, I remember when I was going through my divorce, uh, my second divorce, um, and I was really heartbroken, and I probably should have had somebody else filling in for me, but we just didn't have the means to do that at the time. My sermons on love sounded a lot like, uh, sounded a, a lot like a libido, you know, or, or, you know, eros, you know, it was very the romantic type of love. Um, because that's where I was hurting and that's where my pain was. And sometimes that's just where we speak from. And you know what? That's okay. Cause that's that moment in time. We were able to experience that moment in time together. You know, this, these collections of moments, these small bits of time we get together. Um, it, it, that's kind of like why I see speaking as more of an art than I do. Like, just like, Oh, I'm a pastor and here I am talking. Like, I feel like there's art to it. You know, there's life to it. There's Everything, you know, how I live, what I express, you know, when I, I remind myself to do, you know. I mean, this is a great talk. This is a great talk to have an antagonizer a part of because you're trying to speak this thing that's about this really radical way of loving, yet being antagonized at the same time, you know. And it's like, wow, like someone's not loving me or caring about my well-being and putting theirs first, but I've got to try to be patient with that. And that's tough. So you get to see the whole Shebang right here, live via internet. Be better if it was satellite, right? Now listen to this. So certainly it's the judge of them all. Its greatness is that it accepts and tolerates the other person even if he is unacceptable to us and we can barely tolerate him. Now what's, imagine, what's amazing about this is if you've heard Tillich's talk, you are accepted. He's got three books of sermons. I mean, Tillich's got all these great books. I mean, he just was a genius. He was German genius. He had to learn English when he moved to America. Really bright fellow. Um, but, but you know, this, so you can hear that, his concepts of grace in this idea of love. Like, I always think love and grace are like, you know, brother and sister. Its greatness is that it accepts and tolerates the other person even if he is unacceptable to us and we can barely tolerate him. So there's something that this, this agape that within us that we can try to live, that we can choose to be a part of that has to come above even that intolerance. And so when I woke up this morning and I was going to reach back out to that gentleman I was arguing with and see what was going on, I found out I was blocked, but it was this idea of I'm going to choose the agape love here. I'm going to see if there is a way to to uh, not okay or wink at their, their, their horrific judgment, but to have a deeper conversation to see if we can expose misinformation, if we can expose kind of the hypocrisy that's happening there, but we can do it in a way that's civil. It's not easy work, and it's not really probably made for, especially somewhere where like Twitter, where it's like you only have a certain amount of words you can use. Um, it aims is union that is more than union. On the basis of sympathy or friendship, a union even in spite of amenity. Animity. Now, animity is hostile or opposed. So it's like it sees union even in spite of basically, you could say, enemy or someone who is hostile or opposed to you. Um, boom, you know, um, loving one's enemy is not a sentimentality. And I think this is what we get caught up with. And I think this is what we see a lot of, and I see this a lot online, especially when I bring up grace or I bring up things about listening to others or arguing well or not scapegoating or things like that. I often get people being like, I'm done with that. I don't deal with those people anymore. You know, and it's usually really progressive people. 
you know, who just don't want, I don't, I don't talk to my enemies anymore. I don't want anything to do with them anymore. I, I'm too hurt. I'm scarred. I don't want to have anything to do with that. You know, and they, and they really push back, you know, like if they don't recognize my humanity and that's becomes like a demand, like they have to act and be a particular way to do this. And that's fine. I get that. Like, I don't want, there's certain people that do trigger me that I'm like, I'm going to love them from afar and, you know, hope the best for them. But I, like, that's just not where I'm going to, that's not my, that's not going to be good for either one of us. So, you know, man's got to know his limitations. Um, but, you know, but I think we get it because we get it confused with this type of like cement sentimentality, like the sentimentality. Like, oh, I'm not going to do that. But listen, to this. So, so loving one's enemy is not a sentimentality. The enemy remains an enemy. What? You know, the person who comes to kill, still and destroy, or the person who's not maybe recognizing your humanity or not respecting your boundaries or, you know, whatever. They're, you know, it doesn't say that they're, they're all of a sudden your friend. You know, so here we go. Like, loving one's enemies is not sentimentality. The enemy remains an enemy in spite of this. He uses all male pronouns for his books, so there you go. I'm, you know, I, 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 these books are written in like the 50s. Um, he is not only acknowledged as a person, he is united with me in something that is above him and above me. Now, this brings you back to Hegel and how we talk about contradiction. Um, when, we, when we often talk about, like, um, uh, when Hegel talks about this contradiction uh, coming together of two, two truths that seem to be opposite. And sometimes something greater happens there. And that contradiction, we can find ways to cut out contradictions in our life, but there's some parts of contradiction that are just pure humanity. Just, you have to accept them. That's just, that's the way the world, there are contradictions in life. There is no way to get around that. You have to live within this contradiction. But sometimes these contradictions, you can bring these two things together and something greater, something greater than those truths happens above. And I think this is what Tillich's getting at is when he says, in spite of this, it's not only acknowledges as a person, he's united with me in something that is above him and me. The ultimate ground of being of each of us. So basically, like the God something, like God, the foundation, the thing that's within everything is somehow above the fact that we are enemies. You know, like I can, I can love Joseph Camp or I can love whoever who wants to come here and give me a rough time and, and, and make my, make me earn my, my work. Okay. Or whatever, you know, mock me, make fun of me, belittle, whatever. Um, I don't like it. It, it, it throws me off a little bit. It affects my work, you know, and eventually that like sometimes can affect you know, my work is how I feed my kids and how I take care of my life and my passion and my purpose in this world. And it tests me. But at the same time, I can see there's hurt, there's pain, there's blood. And so there's something above that where I can go, okay, I see the humanity. Matter of fact, it's throwing up humanity. Or this young man yesterday who was like, he deserved, you know, he should have been shameful. And, you know, like there's something above that where I can go, okay, there's pain there. There's hurt. There was a victim. But there's something happened there. And I can accept that. It's not easy. So one remains an enemy in spite of. He is not only acknowledged as a person, he is united with me in something that is above in me. So there is a, you know, like we are, we are a group of people and there is a group of us here together and we don't all agree. And one of the points of revolution is that we try to argue well, we try to disagree well, we try to respect each other, but not everybody does that. And we're still trying to, so, I mean, it's not a safe space. That's fine, because I don't believe there are any really safe spaces in this world. Um, but the ultimate ground of being in each of us is agape, the absolute moral principle, the star above the chaos of relativism. So right now we have a lot of relativism happening, a lot of chaos happening, but there's the agape, the love the that happens above all of this. However, we need more than one star to guide us. Amen. Um, a second is like the 
concrete situation to which love turns in a way. I like to call it listening love. And this is interesting because you've learned a lot about listening to people in um, uh, psychology, obviously. But uh, you also learn to listen to what the people aren't saying or how they say it or in the ways they say it. And you can read a lot into like, oh, what are they avoiding? Not just what they're saying. And, and often what they're saying is very important. Like I've never been, there are people like, I don't want to hear your words. I want to see your deeds. Um, but like uh, Freudian philosophy does not necessarily buy into that idea. It's like, no, we, we're going to listen. We're going to find your motives. We're going to see what's going on through what you're saying, through your words, through what you're communicating, even consciously and unconsciously. Um, so however, we need more than one star. Listening love is a listening to and looking at the concrete situation and all of its concreteness which includes the deepest motives of the other person. Did you hear that? The situation, all its concreteness, which includes the deepest motivation of the other person. And that's why when we talk about arguing well and disagreeing well with respect and type of things like that, we learn to, um, we, um, we argue, we've got to listen. When we're arguing well, it's not just arguing well, it's also listening well. And so hopefully that's, that's covered in the arguing or disagreeing is that we're, I'm speaking, then you're speaking. I'm, speaking. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not, I'm not just throwing shit at you and then flying away. You know what I mean? Um, so... So then to understand the other person's, I mean, that's tough because you have to understand that motive. You have to listen and you have to see. Um, and sometimes it comes clearly through, even though they don't mean for it to, you know, that they don't, you know, when you see a lot of anger and a lot of poison and a lot of, you know, you go, oof, okay, you know, you see other things. Today we can understand the inner situation in another person better than people could in earlier periods. We have the help of psychological and sociological insights into the eternal as well as the external condition of individuals' predicaments. These can be of aid to agape in its listening to and looking for at the concrete situation. So some people are like, oh, how do you read uh, Freud? And, you know, I need the cocaine, and he was a weirdo. You know, I'm like, no, like the they're like Freud did some solid work, and also just to be honest with you, he 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 wrote so normal people could read his work, you know, and it was that's appreciated. So there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, I don't agree with anybody 100%, but there's a lot of good stuff that's come out of that for me, and a lot of that is in is exactly what 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 he's saying here is there can there, it can be an aid to the agape love it can be the situation where you see all of a sudden the enemy becomes there's something above the enemy you know you can see deeper you can see the hurt you can see the like you know what would cause this person to you know feel the need to do this or to say that or to feel this or you know to project or to be so unloving towards someone who is a victim of, of, of take, it took their life because they were kind of a victim of this very person. It's almost like an admission of guilt sometimes, you know, of like, I play in this, so I must yell at this, you know, and then to block and run away. I mean, it all speaks very loudly. Um, and trying not to, 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 to bring in any final judgment within that, always being open to new information and hearing new things is, is, is important too. Because um, I often think we judge people because we don't. We, it's too hard to think and, and, and think critically and, and have uh, dive into harder conversations. We're almost folks. Folks, we're almost folks. We're almost, well, maybe we're not almost through, but we're going to just carry this thing until the end. Such a commandment. Okay, no, okay, so concrete. Listening love takes a place of mechanical obedience or to moral commandments. So this isn't about a moral commandment. This isn't about the Ten Commandments. This is not being about being obedient. This is above that. Again, like, we had to die to the law. Like, grace is something that's like anarchy. It's for everybody. Love is in a similar way. If agape love is a similar way, it's like it doesn't follow your rules and regulations. It doesn't, it doesn't sign up to be a member of your church or your, you know, 
your, your denominational rules or, or your ways of thinking or your Western ways or your Eastern ways or this way. It's just, it's just is. It's just this thing that goes above those things. And if we can grasp it a little bit, we can see the world change. We can see people change. And we can have really horrifically tough conversations uh, with people that we thought uh, we could never be in room with. And, and that's revolutionary. That's what's going to change the world. Uh, speaking truth, helping us realize like how much capitalism plays into our, you know, into our life system and into identity system and all of these different politics that where they go from, you know, it's the importance of studying. Um, so listening love takes place of mechanical obedience or to moral commandments. So you're not just, so I'm doing what I have to. I'm going to love you because I have to. And you're going, oh, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to see what the pain is. I'm going to, going to be a little bit more human here. And I think that's one of the things that love does is it requires us to be like, that's what, what's, what makes us human is the ability to do this, the ability to go like, I'm going to deny the hate and the spite and I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and see what's greater. I'm going to embrace the contradiction here of loving an enemy who is still an enemy because that is a great contradiction. Whether Tillich knows what he's saying here or not, but I mean, that agrees completely with the work of Hegel. Like this is the God above God. This is the God that shows up when the God of our understanding disappears. Such a commandment were derived from ethical insight, then became, became degraded to the status of moral code. And you can see how much uh, Tillich is pushing back on this whole idea of moral, moral code. And it's like, it's like the Apostle Paul about the, 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 the law. He kept pushing against the law because... It wasn't that it was like, oh, which was the Jewish law. No, it was just it was a moral code, and he wanted us to experience agape. He wanted to experience love. He didn't want us to experience do's and don'ts. Like most people leave the church because there's do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and judgmental people, you know. Um, it became degraded. So such a commandments were derived. So listening, loving, loving your enemies, such commandments were deri derived from an ethical insight, then became degraded to the status of moral code. No moral code, however, can spare us from the decision and thus save us from a moral risk. It can advise, but it can do nothing more. So a moral code, however, can spare us from a decision and thus save us from a moral risk. It can, it can advise us, but it can do nothing more. So moral code can only advise us. It can't cause us to love. It can't fulfill that. It can't make us go that extra mile. Um, the moral code is, oh, you know, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to smoke cigarettes because they're bad for me, you know, whatever, you know. This becomes clear to us when we are in the position of counseling someone. Let us suppose that a student comes to me faced with a difficult moral, moral decision and counseling him, I don't quote the Ten Commandments or the words of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount or any other law not even the law of general humanistics ethics. Instead, I tell him to find out what the commandment of agape in his situation is. And then decide for even, for if, even if tradition and convention stand against his decision. However, I must add in warning as well as tell him that if he does so, he risks tragedy. Moral commandments are the wisdom of the past as it has been embodied in the laws and traditions. And anyone who does not follow them risks tragedy. So what it's saying is, is sometimes love's going to say, go against, you know, I always say love is the trump card in the Bible. If, if the Bible is telling you to do something that's not loving, then you don't do it and you go love the person. Um, I think that was the message of Christ. I believe it was the message of the Apostle Paul. That's what I get out of it anyway. Um... So it says, for even if tradition and conventions stand against this decision. So like, here you go, like the tradition, the law, and you're still going to love this person. Now, loving your enemy now seems against any type of tradition and convention in our lives. I mean, I get pushed back from people who should be loving their enemies all the time, you know. However, I must add a warning as well. And then he says, as it does, this risks tragedy. Moral commandments are the wisdom, blah, 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 blah. We already read that. This leads us to a general consideration of the function of the law. The Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the Epistles, the Law of Islam, and the Law of Other Religions, these laws are not absolute, but they are consequences derived from the absolute principles of agape. 
love united with justice and experienced in innumerable encounters with concrete situations in human history. The list of moral commandments, whatever they appear in history, express the moral experience of mankind. They can be called the works of wisdom, the divine power that guided God in the creation of the world and speaks in the streets to the city, that represents the ethical wisdom of the ages, <laughs> and one should not disregard them easily, only if one recognizes the inadequacy of the law for a concrete situation that can feel justified in disobeying it. And what allows us to justify disobeying this, this law, or see the inadequacy of the law, is this agape love. Is this type of love. This type of love that literally would change the world if we practiced it. If we knew how to practice it. And this is why we come, this is why we meet on Sundays. This is why I read all week and study all week to bring this stuff to you, you know. Um, I was lucky with this one because I was like, well, you know, like, if I tried to do any better, I'd do it injustice. So I'm just going to, you know, so this was a grill. But it also had to come through, like, experiencing, you know, uh, some fallout with some other people, seeing a piece of art and being moved and motivated and being reminded all through this this time of looking at because I was thinking of other things to talk about and this kept coming back. A beautiful piece of art and I had to interact with this art and I had to see it and I had to think about how does this affect me personally? Who is the archer? Who are the arrows? Am I the archer? Am I the one putting the arrows? You know, like what is this agape love really about? You know, and I, I honestly uh, for years did not and even just most of my, I don't like the word agape because I heard it growing up my whole life and never used in the way that it's being explained in this book. Never really talked about, but oh, the agape, the love is the agape, you know, the agape love, you know, and, and these are the same people who are like, you know, also I'm selling my story to the Enquirer about your family. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so agape love is just some religious bullshit, you know? And um, no, it's these, these are things that we have to reclaim you know, it's not easy. And uh, it will wear on you. Like, honestly, yesterday I, I, was, I was feeling really, really hopeless. Um, like working on this project I'm working on where I am defending, you know, some parts of my father's life early on the years. And now me and him don't see eye to eye on almost anything. And it's weird because you're going back in time and you're going... And you just get this conflict, and it just seems like no one wants to hear anything different than what the narrative has been the whole for everybody that was played out in the media and everything else. No one wants to hear anything different. And, and matter of fact, like we got to assault it with some controversy because your story is just not pure enough, you know. And like, you know, they make movies about my mother and they and, and things about my mother, and they're not asking my advice. You know, they they'll take it for free. But they're not being like, hey, we'd like to work with you on this. You know, no one's saying, let's work with it. You know, this I am working with, and it's still like a fight. And uh, and so I was feeling a lot of that, um, uh, feeling hopeless at this work that I've done for 30 years, you know, and, and going like, you know, oh, I got the grocery store doesn't want to hire me. Like um, the one of the bookstores that I applied to, I just went in the other, cause everything's applying online now, which is so different. And I went in and I just, I introduced myself to the manager and he said, Oh, we've got a couple other stores. This is going to help. I'm glad you came in. So tomorrow I'm just going to start going and saying hello to every place I applied to. Um, but you just kind of get discouraged in the middle of life. And like, this is like, you feel like the credits are about to roll, you know, and, and you see this like hate of like people celebrating the death of this poor man, you know? Uh, this pastor who had this secret life that was exposed and he was he was so overwrought with it and he kills himself and then you see someone just be completely hateful and almost celebrate it in a way of of like this is Christ victory you know and you're going like oh how does this evil exist you know and you just want to hate you want to feel the anger you want to you just want to destroy like I was like I wanted to like a part of my mind I remember even thinking this like I wanted to show up today and be like f Christianity. F all this crap. I'm done with it. I don't care about it. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, like, why am I, why are these guys writing about it? Why are these, you know, philosophers talking about this crap? Because it's just all crap. Because people are just evil and horrible and bad, you know. Um, and it's tough, you know. Like, I, last week I had, like, 
you know, saying, oh, Jay Baker's, blah, 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 you know, and just like his father, blah, blah. So it's like, it's great because he hates the, you know, like he hates my dad because he thinks my dad's a conservative scam artist. And then he thinks I'm like this liberal scam artist. This guy's like hates both of us and posts all this stuff, blah, 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 you know. And, and you know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, that's just what you get for being a public speaker and doing things like that. Like, the, the, but, the, but the fact is, is it still feels painful. It still hurts. I still have to work at agape love. We still have to work to that love that is, goes beyond that, that rises from that occasion, arises from all that insecurity, all that hurt, all that chaos that's going on in your mind and go, okay, well, there's got to be something better here. And so that's what I, I this, thing, this thing, thank you, Paul Tillich, for writing it down and still being alive in those these words to help me realize like, oh, keep going, keep moving forward, you know? Um, I want to say two things about those who dare to make genuine moral decisions and making such a decision courageously guided by the principles of agape look with listening love look looking with listening love into the concrete situation helped by wisdom of the ages they do um, they do something not only for themselves and for those in relation to whom they decide they actualize possible possibilities of spiritual life, which has remained hidden until then. Wow, that's where it hits hard. Um, that's where it hits hard. Look with listening love into the con concrete situation. They do something not only for themselves. So when we have this agape love, this listening love that goes beyond this moral, you know, with these moral decisions, rather it's kicking against it or going with it, they do, they do something not only for themselves, and for those in relation to whom they decide, the actual possibility of a spiritual life which had remained hidden until then. Something new happens, a new kind of Christianity. You remember when um, Brian McLaren wrote all those books back in the day, and they were really great, a new kind of Christianity. And so you go deeper, and then you have this agape love, and then all of a sudden, all these religious rules and regulations and all this stuff just time to go to like, oh, it's done, you know, I just can't, whatever, you know. Therefore, the participate creatively. Therefore, they participate creatively in shaping the future of ethical conscience. So this is what revolution and we are all here trying to do is be a part of this reshaping of an ethical conscience that says we've got to love each other. We've got to have these tough conversations. We've got to have grace. We've got to have love. And we're going to have to do it even in the midst of them being our enemies because nothing's changing. Things are getting worse. We're becoming more divided. We're becoming more angry. You know, like I'm finding it harder and harder to hold my temper in sometimes. I'm finding it harder and harder to keep, you know, that agape love going. But that's why we've got to do it together because we've got to remind each other. We've got to be there for one another. We've got to be encouraging one another to do this type of thing. Um... Hey, Joe, it's funny because you're using my mom's title, but like anytime you bring up my family, you've really come this close to me canceling you just because I can't can always control my temper when it comes to my mom, especially. So just please tread, tread easy, tread, you know, be, play nice. Um, this is creative excitement of the moral life of the possibility which can give us today, especially the younger generation. Certainly, it is a great burden and it has thrown them into an insecurity far exceeding the insecurity experienced by older generations for whom the problem was, do I do good, I know, or don't I? So you're saying, Tillich right near is recognizing the idea is that some of us will push back. Like some of us will see this agape, like he's saying, this is a great burden. So Tillich is not saying like, this isn't hard, this is easy, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, Tillich is recognizing, like, hey, when you love people who don't love you, when you love people who judge you, when you love people who disrespect, it's not easy. It's transformative. It's almost what one people, what we, we would call a miracle in our language now. If really practiced, we would see miracles kind of happening that would seem almost like miracles. Like, oh, uh, uh, Dr. King knew what it was. You know, nonviolence plays a huge part in what this work is. It actually... Dr. King's one of his heroes, one of his favorite writers is Paul Tillich. Um, so he recognized that burden. 
And he's saying like the older generation was like, do I do good or don't I do good? You know, oh, and it's funny because he's talking about this from the 60s, but I almost look at that as like the, the, the domination I grew up in. Um, do I do good? I know. Okay. Of course, this remains the problem for all of us and all times. But the new generation today must ask, in addition, what is the good? Therefore, must they make decisions on the moral decision implied with a moral risk? And so the moral risk is loving those who aren't safe, like loving those who, who loving Nazis, uh, loving those who are the, loving the white evangelicals, you know, and saying, we got to move forward. We've got to have these conversations. You know, it's not just loving my enemies. It might be loving your enemies. And that's when I find you really get in trouble is when you love other people's enemies. Um, they don't like that as much. And then you can almost slightly become their enemy. So it's a moral risk. Uh, you, you, something you could totally be canceled for. Uh, a literal sense of like no career, no nothing. You know, just done because you're like, oh, you talked to the wrong, you know, the wrong person. Um, and that's going to tarnish your reputation. You know, you're not supposed to love them. Like, we're supposed to love everybody over here, but then when you start going and talking to people like, you know, uh, Mark Driscoll or things like that, then you might not be a safe, you know, so that you've got to deal with that. Um, so, and listen to this. So therefore, they must make this decision, a moral decision, Imply moral risk. However, even though a decision may be wrong, so you might make the wrong decision when it comes to this type of love, and bring suffering, the creative element in every serious choice can give us the courage to decide. The courage to decide and the courage to make decisions after that. New decisions, new ideas. It can give us the courage to have better, like, this cost me this, but this is going to help me make the courage to decide in these different decisions, the courage to risk it all, the courage to do this, or the courage to maybe back up a little bit. But it's going to give me wisdom and the courage to do decide. And I love that. Though This was the first thing I wanted to say about those who dare to make genuine moral decisions. Now I shall say, and we're done. We're almost done, guys. Like, boom, right there. Um, now I shall say this, uh, the second thing about them. The more seriously one has considered all the factors involved in a moral decision, the absolute as well as the relative factors, the more one can be certain that there is a power of acceptance, which we hear about Tillich talk about and you are accepted, which is such a great talk. The more one can be certain that there is the power of acceptance and the depth of life, which is the power of being or some people call God or this, it is the power by which life accepts us in spite of the violation of life we may have committed by making the wrong decision. You hear it says, you hear you might make the right decision. You might do the wrong decision, but it's going to give you a courage to make a decision. And it's for those who dare. And down here it's saying, the power by which life accepts us in spite of the violation of life may have committed by making the wrong decision. So you are accepted. What, is he, what, what the power of acceptance in spite of is what he's saying is, is grace. In spite of your failures, in spite of your faults, you know, in spite of your insecurities, you are accepted. And he's saying the one, the more can be certain about this power. So the more we are certain of grace, the more we accept that we are accepted, the more that we accept that the other accepted something more powerful happens. And the more we're able to live with an agape love and to live with the concept of showing grace and love towards others. And maybe even drawing boundaries when we need to draw boundaries, but maybe keeping a door in that boundary. And this is Telic ends it up here. The mixture of absolute and the relative in moral decisions is what constitutes that danger. And the great, and it's their greatness. It gives dignity and tragedy to a man, creative joy and pain of failure. Therefore, he should not try to escape into willfulness without norms <laughs> or into security without freedom. You know, so you're going out, like, don't go out to the chaos without norms. 
um, uh, you know, don't go into security but not have freedom. Uh, and I love that, the kind of dignity, joy, and the and cross between tragedy and pain. You know, he, he puts those both together as kind of like living in that. You know, I think we all fear I will get hurt again. I will be judged again. I will be canceled again. I mean, I can tell you what, when I've had some more of my progressive friends like get really angry or something, I've been, there's been times I've been worried. A conservative's already kind of took, kicked me out a long time ago. Um, but I still love them, still want to work with them, still going to have these hard conversations and go, hey, we got to look at this different, you know, like my own uh, brother. Uh, we have different views on the Bible, but we talk and we, we, we share things with each other. And, and I shared Dan's stuff with him, and I think, you know, he must think Dan's from another planet sometimes. Um, but what's happening is the world is crawling out for those to take a risk. The world is calling out for those to rebel in such a way that they practice agape love. And that's the real rebellion. To me, that's what punk rock is. It's asking for the truth and trying to deliver the truth and bring the truth, you know. Um, the world cries out, literally is crying out for this risk. They don't see it, but we see it in their hatred of each other. We see it in this, just, just like, oh, I can't pay my bill. Like, we all can't pay our bills. We're all struggling. We're all having a hard time finding work. Yet, <laughs> we're fighting over other shit. You know, and, and we can barely, you know, if one, all, a lot of us are one, one medical bill away from being, being homeless. Yet, we're fighting over identity politics. Yet, we're fighting over conservatives and, and Democrats who both seem to really love corporations. You know, and don't really seem to have our best interest in mind. Yet, we're willing to dedicate our lives to this system. You know, Agape Love says more. Take a bigger risk. Rebel. Be a rebel. You know, and love in a really dramatic way. And uh, so, like when I when I started seeing my 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 liberals, my liberalness, and all this as as not the cure to everything, and I started being honest about the negative effects that I felt the Democratic Party were having and things like that. For me, um, I was able to love everybody a little bit more equal because I realized we're all just we all fall short, man. When you're able to love this way, you start to see, oh, you know, they're stuck in this situation. And sometimes we should be grateful that we're not stuck in that situation. Some of those hateful people want to be out. But the problem is, is when we take the hate from that situation and continue and then put it towards that, you know, like we become almost those things that we hate. But agape love says, no, even your enemy, even when your enemy remains your enemy, you love them above that. And that's the agape love. So there you go. Thank you, Paul Tillich, for explaining agape love a little bit better than most of my evangelical brothers and sisters did when the Assemblies of God when I was a kid. Thank you all for coming to Revolution today and experiencing uh, this with a little bit of chaos, as always. I guess you got to have that, you know. You get to like live action, like it's not just a, a sermon within a sermon. You get to see like the sermon practiced within uh, that within its giving. And some say it's just, you know, speaking isn't work. Come on, guys. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> well, it's work. Patience is a virtue. Um, listen, if you love uh, what's happening, we're, I think we'll probably go through that book next year. I think we'll go through the whole thing, to be honest with you. Um, so, because revolution, we don't, we don't play by the rules. Because <laughs> um, we got to grow. And nobody's going out and buying Politilic a lot. So we'll talk about Politilic, and then maybe you'll go out and buy it and then buy another one for a friend. Because um, there's a lot of good work that's been done that, you know, we don't have to go out and recreate the wheel, which is good news. Um, if you like what Revolution is doing, please consider going to revolutionchurch.com and making a donation. We have PayPal and we have Venmo, and we'll try to come up with other ways because some people want old school and we want to do checks and things like that, and maybe I'll just open up another P.O. box or something like that, but it's just everything costs money to, you know, like we want to grow, but it costs money to take money. So anyway, folks, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you listen to this again, and I hope you, like, go out and buy that book and, and read that because I think it encourages us uh, to, to do this, and I think this is what we need to do, and this is the radical, like, reformation that I keep talking about that's got to happen. And look, there's 12 of us, just like the disciples. All right, folks, love you guys. Have a great week, and I will see you here again next Sunday. 
and uh, we'll probably do some fun stuff on Instagram this week as well. So keep your uh, your eyes peeled, I guess. Maybe your ears, who knows. Love you guys. Thank you so much. How radical it was that. I mean, man, thank you, Paul Tillich. Thank you, Hitler, for kicking him out and not killing him. So we, we got a good one there, didn't we? We got somebody who really is encouraging us to, to do revolution, like from a book from 1960s. From the, and it's a library book at that. So we got to use it because obviously the people back then didn't use it the way we needed to be used. So we're here. So let's use it. Let's use that. Let's use, use these tools and love people better. Love each other better. Treat each other better. Care about each other. You know, let's not fight with each other. Let's let, 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 let's each other heal and, and, and create a better world for each other. Seriously, we can do this, folks. I believe in it. I really, really believe it. And that's why I do this work, because I firmly believe it. And that's why this is my passion and why I've woken up for almost 30 years every day thinking about revolution and you folks and all the folks that have been a part of this for 30 years. Thank you. Love you guys. Bye-bye. for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.